understand if I could find the right play in fantasy sports um, that hasn't uh, been addressed in the market yet. I mean, that would be the ultimate do what you love, never work a day in your life kind of opportunity. And so uh, I just started doing research uh, and realizing that the casual sports fan um, and even non-sports fans are constantly looking for a better way to give to nonprofits. Welcome back to Beyond High Street. David Schwab here today. Our guest is Matt Golas. Matt has created a new fundraising platform called DraftMates. Check it out, www.draftmates.com. It's a fundraising platform, but it uses fantasy football and and, and future other fantasy sports as a fan engagement tool. Pretty interesting idea, recognizing the amount of people that participate in fantasy and also companies and nonprofits looking for ways to engage with their audience. Uh, so check it out this fall as they will launch and go live. And Matt's got a great back history. You know, started a business out in San Francisco and grew it for years. Uh, it turned into a huge company, Yapstone. And as you'll hear in the pod where we open, he's just moved his family from Silicon Valley in the Bay Area back to Columbus, Ohio. And the insight of why is quite interesting. Enjoy the conversation. For, for one thing, I didn't even know I was going to pursue this venture in uh, fantasy sports. And at the time, I was actually working on another e-commerce idea where it would certainly make sense to do it locally because many great e-commerce startups have come out of the Bay Area. Uh, and it was when I actually got the idea for this that it actually opened my mind to, hey, maybe the Bay Area actually isn't the ideal place to launch a business like this. And then when I started doing research and obviously looking at what commercial rents were costing, what it was going to take to attract talent, uh, all the other costs of getting the business off the ground, I realized that somewhere outside of the Bay Area would actually potentially make more sense simply because it was in the sports world. And so when I looked at different places, other tech hubs, places like uh, I looked at Portland and actually looked at Denton, Denton, Denton. And, uh, and actually, funny enough, it was my wife who had family in Ohio, even though she grew up in California. I grew up in Columbus myself. And she really thought that, hey, if we could go somewhere where there's family and you get the benefit of, uh, you know, a rabid sports fan base to help you from a hiring perspective, uh, it made a lot of sense to maybe consider Columbus. And so uh, we decided that, okay, we're going to do it. Um, and what's been interesting about it is that it's really a move that was dictated mostly by what's best for my kids. I mean, that, that's still the number one reason why we decided that we needed to leave the Bay Area. Uh, but in reality, professionally, it has made an enormous difference both in getting the support around a sports-related venture, uh, which, quite honestly, I, I wasn't feeling the love uh, in the Bay Area, uh, both from an a, a, a employee, a kind of attracting talent perspective, but also from an investing perspective, um, but also being able to test bed uh, a lot of new ideas around fundraising uh, and using it as a platform with nonprofits to help them raise funds. Columbus, ironically enough, actually is one of the largest uh, cities actually outside of Washington, D.C. for uh, nonprofits um, to be based. So uh, it's actually been helpful both from a rabbit sports fan base and from a, a, a charity nonprofit perspective. It's interesting. So a few questions coming out of there. Why is, just with the last thing you just said, what, why do you think Columbus is a top city besides D.C. from a nonprofit perspective? 
Well, one reason is, is there's such a huge base of healthcare here. Mm-hmm. So you've got everything uh, from, of course, the Ohio State, the medical hospital, so organizations like uh, Pelotonia, who was associated with the um, Ohio State uh, James Cancer Hospital, um, all the way up to, you know, in Cleveland, you have uh, the Cleveland Clinic, of course, uh, Les Wexner and all of the philanthropic activities he does um, out of New Albany, uh, the Wexner Foundation, uh, and a whole variety of other education-related uh, ventures that are supporting nonprofits. Uh, and it's just one of these things where, you know, Columbus is also being a capital city, I think, also plays into it, uh, that there happens to be quite a few nonprofits uh, that are really active in operating out of Columbus. Now, you know, that's just one piece of sort of the DraftMates puzzle, my new venture, but uh, but having that type of support for those types of organizations locally is absolutely going to be an asset. And when you said feeling the love more so in Columbus or maybe the other of not feeling the love in the Bay Area is, uh, for the sports yep. venture, is that a Columbus thing or a Midwest, or is it more a, not a knock on Bay Area, but more of getting getting to a place where there's fresh thinking, new blood, uh, ventures are just starting to explode? You know, funny enough, I think it is a little bit more of a knock on the Bay Area. Mm-hmm. Um, I think when you look at it from an investor perspective, you know, they like the tried and true. Um, they like the more traditional enterprise software, hardware, uh, technology companies where really they feel that there's a true technology innovation at play. Um, I also think, and, and you can look at, um, People in the fantasy sports world, companies like DraftKings being based in Boston, FanDuel in New York, uh, Draft in in New York. Um, It's not a coincidence that these are mostly East Coast-based companies that have had East Coast-based backers uh, because I think there is both this confluence of investors that appreciate uh, the the gaming opportunity and particularly as it relates to rabbit fan bases in those cities. Uh, But I also think that there's just a, a different risk tolerance around businesses uh, that have a gaming connotation. Um, And thankfully, what I'm doing is not quite up that fantasy sports type profile. What we're really doing is a fundraising platform that just happens to bring a gaming element that's fantasy sports to the way that you know, charities and, uh, and people can raise money. But, you know, ultimately, I think there's just a lot more of an appetite for sports and sports-related ventures on the East Coast, you know, generally speaking, than there is on the West Coast. Hmm. So we're, we're going to get into DraftMates here in a second, but let's go, let's go back a little bit here. And you mentioned uh, being from Ohio or Columbus. Yep. When you went to Miami, was Miami – why Miami? I know there were a lot of people from Columbus going there, but was there something yeah. more than that um, that drove you down to Oxford? You know, I uh, I visited the campus just one time, and uh, and quite honestly, I was only considering uh, three schools. I uh, I had just uh, okay grades in high school. I uh, went to a very good high school in Columbus, Bishop Watterson, but I was just really looking at Miami, um, a school, John Carroll up in Cleveland, and Ohio State, uh, where actually my whole family had been graduates of Ohio State. Um, and so, you know, I just visited Miami one time, like many people, fall in love with the campus, fall in love with the environment, uh, thought it was important to be at least two hours away from home. Um, and that's something I'm a really big believer in now, especially after living in California, where so many of our friends from living there the past 20 years had kids that did go to school close by. Um, and I really am a big believer that so much of the college experience is actually getting away. So uh, two hours may not even have been far enough, but it worked out very well for me. I absolutely loved my experience. 
uh, was active in a variety of activities. Um, and, uh, and that's, that's really what attracted me to the school was just, you know, the, the beauty. Um, I also knew I wanted to get into both undergraduate business, but also, um, into management information systems. So it was an opportunity to, uh, have sort of a foundation to kind of get into the business world. Um, but really there was one class, which I'll go into that really influenced me, um, in my entire career. Um, as a senior, uh, there was an introduction to entrepreneurship class that was taught by Dr. John Altman, um, who I know, um, other people you've interviewed on your podcast have talked about. He is a, a phenomenal individual. He's a serial entrepreneur. He started several companies. He traveled internationally. He's done them in different cities. Uh, and he was just a guy uh, that just had a charisma around really championing the idea of small businesses and why you didn't just have to go and work at a big company after you graduated. And that class had a profound impact on me, um, even though I did, in fact, my first job out of school, I was actually working at NCR in Dayton, Ohio, uh, before uh, working for a management consultancy in both Columbus and Cleveland for a couple of years after, it really instilled me that ultimately what I wanted to do was to start my own company. And, uh, and that manifests itself later on. But, you know, that particular professor had such an impact. And, uh, and I was actually very fortunate that I was actually able to see him for the first time in almost 20 years, a few years ago, uh, by virtue of some of the things I've been doing with the university uh, in recent years uh, around entrepreneurship, uh, both from a scholarships perspective and uh, actually working with the Interactive Media Studies program. And, uh, and while he happened to be in Oxford, I was in Oxford. Uh, we got to have lunch, and um, and what was really, really amazing was uh, I actually spoke at one of the entrepreneurship classes that was being held, and uh, he sat in the back of the room and listened to my 45-minute lecture. Uh, and at the very end of the class, he kind of gave his last two or three minutes, and uh, it I felt like uh, when he was speaking afterward, like I was a student. Yeah, uh, you know, 22 years old. He's uh, he's just an amazing individual, and uh, and I actually have also been able to see him in person. Uh, he does split his time between Reno and Arizona, and I uh, when we go out to uh, Tahoe, I've gotten a chance to go and stop and see him at his house and uh, and have dinner with him. And he's just uh, he's just a great guy, and he is an enormous reason why I am where I am today. Uh, when you shared the story and those last couple minutes when he is talking and you feel like a student, I just closed my eyes. And made me go back 20 years ago, 20 plus years ago, sitting in that same class and me being a year older than you. So we probably missed each other and, and missed that class by a year. Uh, no question for me that Dr. Altman and that Marketing 467 class was the class that made the biggest difference for me, for my future in life too, business-wise. Great. But going into that, you said one of the reasons you thought Miami, you already knew management information systems. What, what did you know or what did you think at 18 <laughs> that you were actually yep. going to be doing well, at 25 or 35? Well, I was the type of kid that um, had been playing with computers since I was 9 or 10 years old. Um, but I was also the type of kid that I didn't think I wanted to be necessarily a programmer or a coder. Uh, I felt that I was analytical uh, but I also really enjoyed, you know, the different aspects of business, uh, whether it be marketing, finance, uh, accounting, et cetera. And I knew that if I did something in computers, it was going to be more on the business side so that I'd have a more broad-based type um, background as I enter, you know, the professional world. Um, and so really it was a, an opportunity to do something with computers that really wasn't going as so far as the major in computer science. 
So uh, that was really why I knew coming in that I wanted to do management information systems. Cool. And then NCR and then some consultancy and then talk about yeah. the move to the Bay Area and Yapstone and really yeah. the last 20 years. Yeah. So that's the biggest piece of my career. Uh, so what happened was I was working in Columbus for a management consultancy. And in 1996, uh, they had an internet practice in Cleveland, Ohio, if you can believe that. And really what that meant was there was a partner, uh, and these were many ex-Ernst and Young type management consultants, uh, who had a relationship with Netscape Communications. And so this is when Netscape was really going big guns. Uh, the browser had come out. They were starting to sell into the enterprise. And uh, there were courses that were taught and professional services that they were providing to Netscape. And literally, it meant flying back and forth between Cleveland and San Francisco for me about every other weekend. Well, I did that for about two and a half years. So after leaving, living in Cleveland for two and a half years, I moved out to the Bay Area in 99, uh, realized that you know a lot of what I was doing was something that I could really do myself as an independent consultant, didn't really need a, a firm to be associated with. And so I, I went on on my own for about a year and a half. And while I was out on my own, uh, mostly supporting Netscape and other dot-coms of that 99-2000 um, uh, you know, uh, era, I realized that there was a huge opportunity to offer online bill payment for people who wanted to pay their rent with a credit card. Um, this was the time when everyone was going online for the sake of going online, but there really was a, uh, a unique value to paying with a credit card, and that was when a lot of the credit card programs were offering frequent flyer miles for the first time. Uh, so the issuers, you get a, a point for every dollar you spend on your credit card, and the way I came up with the idea was simply, what's your largest bill, your rent? How can you not pay it with a credit card? Most people paid it by check or, or wire transfer. Uh, and why did that matter? Because you get more miles if you pay those bigger bills. And so that's how I ended up in the property management industry uh, when my background at Netscape had mostly been in the online payments um, and e-commerce side of it. And so um, I quickly realized that a lot of apartment buildings uh, weren't offering credit card payments, and it was just a matter of marketing at the buildings to get people to pay with a credit card rather than by check. Uh, and we had to bootstrap the business. So it was literally myself and two other angels. Uh, within a year, uh, I'd run out of money. I was back from, went from one employee to 15 down to one. And then I uh, actually hooked up with another company doing something very similar called Yapstone. Um, and in their case, uh, they didn't have any technology, but they had a few people who were effectively doing the same thing, offering credit cards in apartment buildings. And we joined forces uh, in 2003. Um, I became CEO of the company. Uh, we grew the company and continue to grow. Yapstone's become an enormously big business now. Um, and I would serve as CEO until uh, 2014 uh, and then transitioned off and became co-chairman. Uh, so for the last three to four years, I've just been advising them. I'm still on their board. I'm still an equity holder. Um, but I've been kind of getting ready the last couple of years to st kind of start my next new venture, uh, starting from scratch all over again. What, what, what was it that um... – what happened that made you go from 15 employees to one? I mean, I, I get the running running out of capital, but I, I guess why? Yeah. yeah. Well, you know, we missed the venture capital uh, funding window is really what it comes down to. So uh, we organized the business. I hired my first employee in January of 2000. Uh, ironically enough, our first employee was hired literally one week before I met my wife. So she's only known me since I've been doing this. <laughs> and we, and, and it was just, again, myself and two other angels. Uh, so we had raised collectively between the three of us, it was a little over a million dollars 
that uh, we were able to hire people, build a platform, get customers, but then when we needed to go out to the institutional VCs, oh, really, which was in April, May 2000, um, you know, the, the, the stock market crash had already happened. Uh, a lot of venture capitalists were freezing investments at that time, and so we had to go it alone. And by early 2001, I was just about out of money, so I was having to lay off people simply because I didn't have the money to pay them. And I was looking at some strategic partners to potentially buy the intellectual property. And then when this other company, Yapstone, being in the same straits as, as, that I was in as rent payment came along, I, I realized that, you know, this would be a great opportunity to join forces. And How did you and Yapstone, who both maybe were struggling independently, how did you guys right. join forces? What, who, who called who? Well, I effectively called rent payment. I called Yapstone uh, because I was out of business and I still believed in the business model. I just needed somebody to keep the lights on. Uh, and thankfully, my business partner, who, who, had, who had been an investor in Yapstone, um, was really looking for somebody to help run the day-to-day. And so when we joined, they didn't have technology. They did have some customers. We had technology, but not many customers. So it was a very complimentary fit. But more importantly, financially, um, they had access to capital to be able to, on a shoestring, keep the, the combined company running. Um, and we were able to live off of our revenues literally from 20, uh, 2003 all the way through to raising that big round in 2010. So this was v- not the classic, you know, raise a big round, what's your burn rate, are you going to go back to the well to raise more money? This was a very, very, very uh, guerrilla, uh, organic-type growth story uh, where we had to be very lean and mean for a very long time until we hit a couple of big breaks, uh, one of which was when we had made a couple of acquisitions with customers and revenue, and then another one when we got into the vacation rental industry. And that was really the, uh, the big break uh, that we got that really catapulted the company, both in revenue and in the market that it served. And you mentioned before, and then at some point you you went from CEO to chairman and advisory role. And then where where was it? Where was the light bulb moment that you had another business idea, either a fantasy football tool or a fundraising platform that just so happens to be using fantasy sports um, as the vehicle for it? Where, Where was that light bulb moment? What I really realized was, you know, I have a golden opportunity after, you know, Yapstone had grown to the success that it had experienced, to really do something that I really would feel passionate and would really find uh, a lot of fun in. And what the light bulb moment for me was, I actually ran into a friend who uh, had sold his company, he was another entrepreneur, had sold his company to TripAdvisor, was now working with a VC in Boston, um, and I ran into him literally just this past October, uh, and he was talking about, oh, we're investing in a lot of internet brands, and in Boston, DraftKings is one of our portfolio companies, and I mentioned I said, man, if I could find the right play in fantasy sports um, that hasn't uh, been addressed in the market yet, I mean, that would be the ultimate do what you love, never work a day in your life kind of opportunity. And so uh, I just started doing research uh, and realizing that the casual sports fan um, and even non-sports fans are constantly looking for a better way to give to nonprofits uh, because really donate now buttons and email solicitations aren't really exciting for people and they get inundated with those every day. And so if we can 
can bring a gaming type experience uh, like with fantasy sports for people to make it easy for them to give, but also to be able, if they're into sports, to do something they're already familiar with, for instance, with fantasy football, uh, that would be a great opportunity to help these nonprofits uh, raise funds uh, and also do it in a way where we were strictly working with uh, registered 501c3 nonprofits. So um, as much as the model is similar to a uh, a GoFundMe type model. Uh, we are not doing person to person campaigns. We're doing only campaigns that raise money for registered 501c3 organizations. And so it just plays to the fact that, you know, people want to give back, particularly uh, millennials uh, and people who, uh, again, maybe you're just looking for a more interesting, engaging way to give. And nonprofits are constantly looking for new ways to raise money. So it helps a nonprofit tremendously because they're able to um, have a new excuse to reach out to donor supporters. It's something they can easily do through a social media status update. Um, and there's also a lot of people outside of traditional nonprofits, there are athletes, there are celebrities, there are social media influencers. Many of these people have causes, uh, foundations that they're passionate about, and you know they're really challenged with how do I raise money or raise awareness for my cause. Um, and some of them go as far as putting on golf tournaments and dinners and trying to go through uh, all the all of the costs that go around with putting on those types of fundraisers. And this is such a simpler, easier way that through social media, through email marketing, they can encourage people who follow them on social media or our friends to raise money for that cause. And what we think can start at those big causes can go ultimately hyper-local down to the school, the bake sale, the, you know, the costs of the, uh, the team's traveling expenses to go to a tournament level. And that's where I think we're going to get uh, a tremendous response, not just from sports fans, but from really uh, families and, and people that are really uh, supportive of these very local causes. So that's where we're ultimately going, but right out of the gate, we're mostly focused on attracting people that like sports, that may have played season-long fantasy football or basketball, um, and then also people who are aligned with certain causes that tend to have a lot of donor supporters that like sports. Those are our, our first uh, our target markets. And where are you right now with the business? So right now, uh, we actually are testing our final couple weeks uh, with the preseason on the app. We're actually going to be launching native iOS and Android apps uh, around the last week in August, right before the first week of the NFL regular season. Um, so we're going through and testing the apps. Uh, we actually have our, our marketing site up, although this is going to be a mobile-only uh, offering. So uh, it's going to be available, though, to anybody who uses uh, iOS or Android devices. Um, and once they download the app, um, they'll be able to, if they want to set up a private contest through a league of friends. Uh, they can connect with people, uh, the contacts on their phone, Facebook Connect, or there's a shared link functionality where they can actually share that link and have people join a league and, and play in a contest. Uh, those folks can either play for bragging rights, so for free, just to say, I won, you lost, with notifications going to the group, or they can actually play for charity where every player gets to pick which cause that they wish to support. Um, the other use case, and this is where we think there's going to be a significantly greater volume of overall entries and, and players is in public contests where those charities, foundations, causes actually hold a contest that's open to anybody who wants to create an account and, and, uh, and pay the entry fee. And so it's, it's really an app that doesn't offer any aspect of players winning cash or really winning any specific prize. Uh, it's really designed as a fundraising platform for those nonprofits and causes to be able to engage with their donor supporters, followers, 
easily raise this money. And then 85 to 90% of the uh, funds raised go directly to the nonprofit. So effectively, our revenue is this platform fee, the 10 to 15% that's inclusive of the uh, payment processing fees. And, so it's very simple. Yeah, and, and of course, the timing now with uh, some overturn in the Supreme Court and yes. state by state at least having the ability to uh, make decisions if they want to include gaming in their own state, and a few have turned the switch. Um, the, the timing of it obviously couldn't be better. Yeah, that's exactly right. And and what's even better, I mean, from a DraftMates perspective, is that you know not only are the fantasy sports brands and platforms that already exist completely chasing after that sports betting, uh, gambling type opportunity, but casinos are chasing after it. And I think ultimately. Um, you know, the major websites of, uh, that everyone uses, Google, Facebook, Amazon, um, are all ultimately going to offer some type of product in that market. And being that alternative uh, that's focused entirely on playing for, for nonprofits and charity causes uh, or for bragging rights and not offering a cash game, um, I think is just a tremendous differentiator in a sea of everyone chasing after being a casino. Um, you know, the other aspect, though, um, that I think is, is also super, super important is that that, you know, there's no reason why this platform can't ultimately extend, you know, not just to football and basketball. Uh, we're starting with the NFL and the NBA, but a whole variety of different sports uh, that people are passionate about as well. So we're, we've designed the platform to be very adaptable going in the future. And in fact, one other area that we are also very excited about is uh, launching an esports product. And that, that's one of the, the biggest areas um, where, you know, the number of people that are attending those events and the number of viewers online is, is just unbelievable. Um, so, so we want to have a very, very, very broad-based offering, uh, but in a in an area where you know, with the leagues, they've had a lot of PR uh, questionable things going on right now. That this can really be a very positive story of how uh, people associated with the league, uh, people who love sports, can do something for the right reasons, where everybody who pays an entry fee is ultimately benefiting a nonprofit. It's really interesting hearing how Columbus, Ohio, and a number of Midwest cities are becoming the next place uh, for startups uh, to look for new talent, uh, cost of living, uh, and really less competition from uh, the coast and, and certainly Silicon Valley. I am sure Matt will crush it with DraftMates and, again, take a look, sign up, participate. Uh, a great fundraising platform, great way for everyone to give back to charity. Really appreciate Matt's time. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Hope you have a great day. See you next week, and see you at Skippers.